You are listening to a Sunday sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ in others, and grows together in our faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the third Sunday after the Epiphany, January 19, 2020, by Aaron Scott, lay catechist at Chaplains of the Harbor. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. It's really wonderful to be with you all today. Is that better? All right. Um, Thank you so much, Reverend Lex, Reverend Sarah, for letting me share this pulpit my name is Aaron. Uh, I work at Chaplains on the Harbor. We're a mission station of this diocese. We're located out on the coast. Is it that way? I don't know which. The coast in rural Grays Harbor County. We're a parish of around 500 poor, homeless, and incarcerated people based in one of the poorest counties in the state. Grace Harbor County, on average, uh, people in Grace Harbor County die five years younger than the rest of the state. Um, We have the highest, at least as of two years ago, the highest opioid overdose death rate in the state. Um, Three years ago now, uh, the ACLU sued our juvenile detention facility for torturing a minor, um, and we have, as part of that, we have uh, the highest rate of child incarceration for nonviolent, non-criminal offenses in the entire country. Um, so uh, the way that we do church at Chaplains on the Harbor is rooted in collective survival. We run six feeding programs a week. We host a cold weather homeless shelter. We distribute Narcan, which is the opioid overdose reversal drug. We do street outreach. We make weekly jail visits. 
We publish a jail and prison newsletter, which is currently circulating through every prison in Washington state. We offer supportive employment for people getting off the street and out of jail and into recovery. We operate a four-acre farm. We run a community center. We do weekly worship, popular education, and human rights organizing. I forgot something, I'm sure. I, Sorry. Uh, last year, we settled two federal lawsuits against the city of Aberdeen for violating the human and constitutional rights of homeless people in our parish and in our work with the Poor People's Campaign, which is a national call to unite poor communities and communities of faith all over this country, we've been honored to walk alongside incredible leaders from our base as they've made the journey from homelessness, incarceration, and addiction to directly addressing and sharing their truths before the highest levels of governance in this country. They have we have 11 people on our staff right now. Eight of us are formerly homeless. They have testified before U.S. Senators, attended hearings of the House Budget Committee, and interrogated presidential candidates on the failure of this richest nation in the world to end poverty. Some people think that makes us a new and exciting kind of church. We are not a new and exciting kind of church. There's nothing older in the Christian tradition than a bunch of poor people taking care of each other while causing a ruckus and speaking truth to power. I think a uh, case in point would be today's gospel reading. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I'm an organizer by training. The story is the dream of every organizer who has ever called for a wildcat strike. Like, how, how bad, how bad of a gig must that have been that Peter and Andrew and James and John were so ready at a moment's notice to just walk off the job? We can guess from this story and others pretty easily that fishing in the ancient Mediterranean was neither the safest nor the most comfortable job. History also attests to this. Fish was a staple food across the ancient Roman Empire. It was consumed by all classes, and fishing was a major industry. So you had the people who caught it, the people who built the boats, the people who sold the licenses, collected taxes on it, the police who cracked down on illegal fishing, the fish processing facilities, the merchants who shipped it. All of this complex economic and industrial organization, of course, is happening in a society where the vast majority of people are living in poverty, barely surviving day to day. There is no middle class in Jesus' historical moment. There are the elites, and then there is everyone else. And I think we are seeing our reality come closer and closer and closer to that one. Fishers are in that everyone else group. Slave fishermen were numerous. 
And while fishing was, it was recreation for the folks at the top of the food chain, um, and so you see it sometimes, right, like romantically depicted in ancient art, the everyday people who actually fed the empire through their labor and their risk out on the water remain almost invisible, at least outside of the Gospels. The Bible remains some of the most enduringly positive media that we have about poor people. Like, where else do we consistently, repetitively hear the message that poor people, people doing the dirtiest, most dangerous, most undervalued work, are chosen by God as leaders in this world? Where else do we hear the message that poor people are not only allowed, they are called by God to walk off their dirty, dangerous, undervalued jobs in order to help God change the world? We, I don't hear that on the news. I don't think we read it in the newspapers. I think liberal and conservative pundits and bloggers alike generally fail to see poor people at all, and particularly to see poor people as moral leaders and true authorities on how best to transform this unjust society. So I thank God for the gospel, for holding that truth up to the light for us, loud and clear through a few millennia, I serve on the National Steering Committee of the Poor People's Campaign. And as part of the campaign's activities two summers ago, nine interfaith religious leaders were arrested on the steps of the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., essentially for praying for an end to poverty and praying for an end to voter suppression and then refusing to be dispersed as they prayed. They were held overnight in jail and after they were released, two of my friends, um, the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris and Shally Gupta Barnes, who's a lawyer with the campaign, shared with me that they'd spent a long time talking with the other inmates while they were being held on the women's side of the jail. All the inmates were poor women. As Shally and Liz and the other folks in the campaign talked to, talked to these women and shared why they had risked arrest to bring attention to the staggering rates of poverty in this wealthy nation, these women began to tell their own stories of surviving poverty and fighting against it. One of them was suffering from domestic abuse and was in jail because she fought back. One of them was late to work, and so she was arrested for running a stoplight. One of them was a fast food worker. Her name was Baby. And she didn't stick to the limits that her employer put on how much food went to each order. She knew people were coming into her restaurant who could not afford what they needed. She piled on extra meatballs and extra toppings on their orders because no one would go hungry on her watch just because they couldn't afford to eat. Reverend Theo Harris told me afterwards, she said, baby told us we should come into her restaurant and have other poor people's campaign folks come in to get free or reduced price meals so we could continue the fight. So she wasn't just helping random poor people, she was also supporting the cause of the poor organizing for justice. If you feel a little nervous about the idea that petty theft from a giant multinational corporation for the sake of feeding and organizing the poor is God's work, 
I will read you something about the Bible days, the history lesson. In general, the economy of the Roman Empire, a giant multinational power, was extractive insofar as production and distribution served the interests of the powerful, not those who actually performed the labor. Peasant fishers and processors had little to no control over fees for fishing licenses or tax or toll rates. It is reasonable to conclude that such an economic situation was largely one of exploitation, and this exploitation intensified in the Galilee during Herod's reign, due largely to his increased commercialization of fishing and his own luxurious living. At any rate, fishers, farmers, and other laborers in the Galilee sought ways to resist exploitation by hiding goods, lying about the size of their families in order to pay fewer poll taxes, and other covert strategies. Knowledge of the Galilean fishing economy raises interesting questions, about the various fish traditions throughout the Gospels. What are we to make of the catch of 153 large fish, for example, that instead of being shipped off to those who could afford them, are eaten for breakfast by Jesus' disciples in John 21? Might this story have a subversive quality that has otherwise gone unnoticed? What kind of leaders is God calling right now to spearhead the salvation of this broken and beautiful world? Those living comfortably at the top or those risking their very lives and livelihoods to do the right thing, to feed God's people, to keep one another alive when the powers and principalities turn their backs on the poor? We know that this world has more than enough for all of us to thrive. But when we run off the rails, it seems, at least in the scriptures, like God is always, always choosing folks from the bottom to get us back on track. Why is that? I think it's because people at the bottom are the ones who know up close and personal how profoundly things need to change. I think that's why Jesus called these four, and I think that's who Jesus is inviting us to hear today, too. Leaders from the bottom, fast food workers, prisoners, homeless people. The gospel is for all of us. God's dream is for all of us. But to bridge the gap between this burning world and earth as it is in heaven is going to require us to search out a very particular kind of leadership. It's the kind of leadership that knows how to make a way out of no way. It's the kind of leadership that the Poor People's Campaign encountered in those jail cells at night in the D.C. city jail, devoted to human kindness and uplifting the hungry, even when doing so breaks the law. At Chaplains on the Harbor, well, Lex said, I think, visionary entrepreneurs. At Chaplains on the Harbor, we call these kinds of leaders holy hustlers. (laughs) And we are powerfully enriched by their spiritual gifts. 
This is the kind of leadership we see every single day on the streets of Grays Harbor County, speaking out and speaking up about what all God's children deserve, even when you have been stigmatized as unclean or undeserving because of your criminal record or your track marks or your housing status. It's the kind of leadership that responds to the call of God in real time, dropping the nets to the floor of the boat, walking away from exploitation and toward redemption of the whole world, no matter the risk. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website, www.stthomasmedina.org. That's a www.stthomasmedina.org.